0: Well, good morning. It is so good to be with you today. God is good. Amen. Yeah, you know, um, boy, about three things are going through my head. First, that both these songs this morning were just incredible. And I told David the first time we saw him the, the, sang the second song, I said, David, it just didn't really ring my bell. Well, it's ringing now. What a wonderful song. It's just incredibly filled with truth. And then I thank so much for our young people. I know you may get tired here in that week after week, but I so appreciate it. A couple of guys came up to me and said, we have a proposition for you. I said, what's that, But He goes, we want to start a youth choir. <laughs> come on. Come on. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. How, how incredible is that? That's just great. Just awesome. And we got several friends here this morning that, that hadn't seen you in a while. It's just so good to see you guys. And I'm excited to see what God's going to do. Now, I have to admit, I'm like the guy, you know, that there's a guy that was going to play golf with another guy. And so, um, so he said, now, here's the deal. I'm going to play with you, he says, but I got two gotchas, okay? And he goes, well, okay, what's that? He goes, well, you'll find out. So the guy gets ready to tee off, you know. I, had, I know how to make the grip even. So he's about to tee off. And about the time he's getting ready to swing, the other guy walked up by him and said, gotcha. And the guy jumped. And then he goes, that's one. So with the technology glitches this morning, I feel like that golfer has got, that's one. So David said, I said, Dave, what if it happens again? He goes, don't stop! <laughs> don't stop! So we don't. But Anyway, so we're glad that you are here today, and this is the last week of our sermon series. We entitled four, and it's about four decades of my life, four scriptures that really God used to speak into my heart, and then four keystone truths that we've picked up through those through these four weeks, and through I did through those four decades. Now, obviously and appropriately, the sermon title day is Via Dolorosa, and that is that means, of course, in Latin, the way of suffering. And we want to tie in the idea that his suffering also helps us through our suffering. His steps are our steps. And the scripture is Psalm 37, 23, and 24. It says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in that path. And even if we stumble and fall, we will not be utterly cast down because he upholds us. And I like to always put this in. He upholds us with his strong hand. Of all the scriptures that I know in the Old Testament, this is the most encouraging. It came into my life in a big way about seven or eight years ago. But I discovered recently, I've got all this stuff on my shelf. And a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, um, Judy gave me a, a little one of those little half-folded plastic things. And on it it had a scripture. And I was putting some stuff away. i got too much stuff on my shelves. So I was putting it away, and there it was. Psalm 37, 23, and 24. Even back, way back when I was a lot younger, this verse was playing a part. But for the last seven years or so, it's really been big to me. And this is one of those scriptures. Now listen to your preacher. This is one of those ones, if you've got the worship event open on your smart device, you should, okay? You need to mark that down, make a note there, important verse. Um, if not, you've got your pen and paper out, write that down. This is a keystone verse that offers so much assurance of the sovereignty um, of God. It's just huge. So let's look at our first teaching point. Um, and this happened, this happened this week to me. You know, I, I started by saying, you know, what an amazing thought. What an amazing thought. And here's the amazing thought. The same scriptures from the Jewish Old Testament that touch our hearts today like mine in Psalm 37, 23, 24, the same scriptures from the Jewish Old Testament that touch our hearts today touched His. Now, I've I just never really thought about that. You know, we, we understand, you know, from John 1, 14, you know, the Bible says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of that, the, God, the only begotten of the Father. So, yeah, of course, you would say, well, of course He knew Psalm 37, but for some reason it just really jailed I'm with me. We know from 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is God-breathed. That literally, that, that it comes out of God. So it makes perfect sense, but for some reason this week, it grabbed me. It grabbed me. And what that means is, is that when it touches his heart, that when he saw these Old Testament scriptures that mean a lot to us, imagine what it meant to him. You know, what, 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I can just imagine as Jesus, as a Jewish boy, a a Jewish man, and as God himself, as he read that, he realized that he was that shepherd, that he was to be the shepherd that met the needs of all the people. I can only imagine as he read Psalm 53, you know, written hundreds of years before the crucifixion, and he read Psalm 53 about the suffering Messiah, we're going to quote a couple of verses here in just a moment from that. But the suffering Messiah, and he understood that was him. When he read, listen, listen, listen. When he read Psalm 53, he was reading his future. And he knew that. He knew that. When when he heard the story or read the story back in Genesis of Noah and the ark, and when he saw the ark, and he knew that the ark represented safety and refuge in a great storm, and he knew he was that safety and that refuge. And when he saw the bow in the sky, read about the bow in the sky. You know, God's promise. He understands he was the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. So it's amazing to think, okay, that, that Jesus, when he knew these Old Testament scriptures, he's looking and marveling at the very, ooh, this is good, at the very same ones we do today. Perhaps you've got, perhaps it's the Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Perhaps there's a scripture in your life in the Old Testament that means so much to you. It meant a lot to Jesus, too. It really did. And we close by saying this. What it meant for him impacts what it means for us today. So as we look back today on Palm Sunday, Palm Week, okay, Passion Week, as we look back at that, under, and we're going to look at what it meant to him and then how it impacts and, and moves in our lives Our scripture again is Psalm thirty seven twenty three, And we start out with the very first part um, And it says The steps of a good man Are ordered by the Lord The steps of a good man Are ordered by the Lord Now, this is one of those verses That's really plain and easy to see Okay, And you kind of go Oh yeah, I know what that means And I also know I'm not good So that verse means nothing to me It means nothing to me. But again, what the verse meant to Jesus changes what it means for us. You see, when the Bible, if you put the idea and the thought that the steps of a good man, and you understand that good man is Jesus Christ, it changes everything. You see, there was never a good man like that good man. There was never a good man like the man who died on a cross. You know, one day, you know, a guy walked up to Jesus and said, Hey, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And then Jesus responded with a question and said, Why are you calling me good? Don't you know that only God is good? And we understand that it means that what Jesus was saying, Are you calling me good? Are you calling me God? And if you're calling me God, you're absolutely right, Because I am God. There was never a good man like this good man. See, this good man was 100% God. It was not a... You know, often in marriage, people say, well, it's a 50-50 proposition, and you would be wrong if you assume that. And the same thing with, with God. You know, Jesus, it wasn't a 50-50 deal. He wasn't half man and half God. He was 100% God and 100% man. It's amazing. There was never a good man Like this man. And this man was perfect. And this man had never sinned. And what's so significant about that. The fact what that meant to him and about him. Impacts our life even today. There's a great scripture. Um, It's like a a John 3.16 scripture. It's that significant. Paul was writing to the church at Corinth. About Jesus and about us. Here's what he said. In 2 Corinthians 5.21. He said... For he made him. Now, David did this for us in, in first service and second service. You know, he was reading a scripture. He made sure you understood it was talking about Jesus. Well, look at this scripture this way. For God made Jesus. Makes it very clear. So whatever's fixing to happen, God made Jesus. What was it say about Jesus? For God made Jesus who knew no sin, who was absolutely the perfect picture of Perfection. He knew no sin, but he, may, he knew no sin to be sin for us. So what that means is, is that Jesus had no sin of his own, and yet God made him to be sin for us. In other words, he took on our sin. When Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, he, he was taking on, now watch, 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 the sins of the entire world. Every man, every woman, every child, every sin ever committed was on Jesus Christ. And then Paul makes it clear, not only was that sin on Jesus, but he became that sin. He had no sin, and he became that sin, and then he endures the wrath of God on the cross for us, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Well, why did that happen? Well, Paul tells us that we might become the righteousness of God. See, God didn't just make us good through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, through our faith, our belief in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. God doesn't just make us good. He makes us righteous. Now, this, I, wish, I wish I'd really got this a long time ago. Because most of my life, I've always felt like God was always mad at me because hard as I try, I just couldn't get it right. Now, maybe you're out there and you go, dude, I get it right all the time. Well, I would probably, well, God would beg to differ and probably your wife would beg or husband would beg to differ also. But I was one of those people that never got it right. I just didn't get it. And I finally understood that, that God accepts me, not because of my good works, not because I get a few things right. He accepts me because of the righteousness of his son. It was kind of like a trade deal. Jesus said, I will take your sin and in exchange, I'm going to give you my righteousness. Now, what that means is this verse now comes alive. Because if you're here today and before that teaching I just gave you, you said, that's a great verse, but I'm not good. So that verse doesn't apply to me. Now, as a Jesus follower, you understand it does. Because God calls you righteous. So your steps, the steps of the righteous man or woman that you are in Jesus Christ, are ordered, are ordained by the Lord. It's huge. So what's our next teaching point? Our next teaching point says this. Whether whether it is the path of Christ through Passion Week, or your path through next Tuesday, we can rest in the assurance that He's in control. This is when I said it. I said, you know, to the people who were standing by, these men who had followed Jesus for three years, as they watched this, what they saw was a world gone crazy. And in fact, what it was, it was a perfectly orchestrated plan of God. It was perfectly played out as God had planned it. And listen, you know what? As Christ walked this this Passion Week, every step was directed by the Lord. I'm going to show you that in Scripture in just a moment. But now look at me. What about your world? Are you in a position in your life where your world's gone mad? Do you look back in 2021 and a chunk maybe of 2022 and you're kind of going, the world's gone mad? Well, if you believe, as I do, in the sovereignty of God, then you understand it is not a world gone mad, it is a perfectly orchestrated plan. God is working out his plan in this world that we often say has gone mad. That's the power and wonder of God's sovereignty. So, so what did the steps of a good man, or ordered by the Lord, mean to the Lord Jesus? Well, in Acts chapter 4, we get a beautiful picture of this. Um, the story goes like this. Uh, Peter and John have been arrested for preaching the gospel, okay? They were preaching, and the, and the temple folks got all mad about it, so they arrested them, and finally they let them go, but they go back to, and I love this, the Bible said they went back to their people. They went back to their people. So they went when they got there, if they were Baptists, they probably would have had a fellowship meal. You know, we like to eat. Um, perhaps Baptists are enamored with business meetings, so maybe they have a business meeting to decide what to do. But amazingly, they didn't have a business meeting, they had a prayer meeting. Okay? And so they start praying, and in their prayer, they they quote Psalm two one and two. And Psalm two one and two describes how the, the psalmist writes and says, How the world is opposed to you, God, and who, who has attacked your anointed one. You can go back and read it later, but that's the thrust and the jest of what that, that means there. And so then they jump into this verse, verse 27. Now they say, in fact, God, they were talking to God. In fact, God, this has happened here in this very city. They said, as we look back on Passion Week, on on Friday and Saturday, all of that, all the persecution that that went on. In fact, God, this is, listen, it only happened back in the the Psalms. It's happening right now. It happened right here in this city. And then they describe it. You know, Herod Atippus who was the ruler of Galilee, a Roman-appointed official, and Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judah, the Roman government, and the Gentiles, also known as the Roman army, okay, And, and the people of Israel. All the, not all, most of the Pharisees, most of the scribes, and a chunk of the people, all of a sudden, turned against Jesus. In fact, the one thing they had in common was, they were all united against Jesus. What? What? Yeah. You're a holy servant that you anointed. Wait, wait. God, this this can't be your plan. It was. And it did. But this last verse, this is... Now, see, you need to get your your worship event out, and you need to take a note here. You need to get your paper out and write this down, because this is huge. It gives you a whole different understanding of this Passion Week. Verse 28. But everything, somebody say everything. Yeah, not part, not part okay? Not like God had, God didn't get it half right. He didn't get a 33%. Uh, the culture didn't grade him on a curve, okay? But everything they did, everything Herod did, everything Pilate did, everything the Roman army did, including spikes in his hands, in his feet, the scourging of his back, the, the uh, crown of thorns, and the spear in his side, everything they did was, are you ready? Determine Beforehand, according to your will. It was not a world gone mad. It was a perfectly executed plan. And here's what you need to understand. The same God that organized that plan organizes the plans of our life. Doesn't mean, see, we get frustrated with God because it's not exactly easy or what we want. But God's got this magnificent plan that he is working on, and we need to allow him to do that. So what does that mean for us then? It means Proverbs 16.9. Proverbs 16.9 says this. We can make our plans, and we do. We make plans. But it's the Lord that determines our steps. It's the Lord that determines our steps. So, so we're up for next Tuesday, and our world seems to be going mad when things we just don't understand, when a doctor's diagnosis makes no sense, um, when, when, when your marriage is in great struggles, when your parents, guys, are just not getting it right, all right, all these different things that are going on, we have the confidence, sure, listen, you know, we've got plans, but the Lord determines our steps, and that is so big and so huge. So yes, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and because the Father orchestrated the steps of his son all the way through Passion Week, he also directs our steps. And because of what it meant to Jesus that he became sin, that we can become the righteousness of God so we have the assurance that God determines our steps. And And then he says this, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in our way. What? What? Yeah, see, you got to understand something. Now look, look at me. God not only has a plan for you and for me and for his son, but it's a plan he delights in. God always gets it right. God always gets it right. Um, I think I quoted something one time, and I said something like this. I'm pulling it out of my head. It said, you know, if we could see everything that God sees, we would agree with everything God does. We, we don't see that necessarily. But that's the way it is. You know, know, God delights in his path. So our teaching point says this. You know, with delight, with delight, get that, with delight, the designer of the grand plan and all lesser plans works for our good and his glory. See, God delighted, and it almost, it almost sounds sadistic, but God delighted in Passion Week, okay? You say, what a sadistic God, what a mean God, what a cruel cool God. No, he loved you. He was willing to put him, oh my He was willing to nail his son to a cross. He was willing to pierce his side. He was willing to scourge his back. He was willing to plant a cat of thorns on his head. He was willing to hang him naked and before the world. He was willing to place the sins of the entire world on his son. Because he loved us. That's huge. I mean, I'm telling you, when you start understanding just how much God loves you, You can't help but love Him. It's just amazing. Amazing. With delight, the designer of the grand plan, the plan of redemption, the plan that was in place before the foundation of the world was laid. It's just amazing. Before the foundation was laid. And all lesser plans. These things we go, God, what are you doing you know, I told them in first service with Carla and Mickey they have a granddaughter that has a brain tumor and they're saying it's, it's, it's inoperable. What do you do with that? When your life is falling apart, what do you do with that? Well, listen, he's, he's working for your good and for his glory. He's working to bring the ultimate good. God often works for our good before he works for our happiness. God often works for our good before he works for our happiness. And the whole deal is that we learn to trust him. And what did that mean for Jesus? What did it mean with Jesus? That the, the, that with delight the, the designer of the grand plan and all lesser plans works. Listen to this. This is one of those scriptures from Isaiah 53. This, this is a scripture that Jesus knew, that Jesus read. In fact, as God, you could say Jesus wrote. Here's what it says in Isaiah 53, 10a. Yet it pleased the Lord, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. The word bruise there in the Hebrew means to crush severely, to crush severely. So it pleased the Lord to crush him severely, to put him to grief. Sadistic? No. Love? Yes. Isaiah 53, 5, another verse in that great chapter that's looking forward to the death of the Messiah. Um, it says, he was pierced. He was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in this path. So, what does that mean for us? It means Romans 8.28 is more than acute scripture in the Bible. It adds credence. It has weight. It adds authenticity. Here's what 8.28 says. We know. Confident assurance. We don't guess. We don't think. We know that all think. Remember the thing that you're wrestling with right now? Mm -hmm. All things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Just like Passion Week, with all its world-gone mad appearances, was a perfectly orchestrated plan for our redemption, so the things, the puzzles that God is working in your life are for your good. Doesn't mean they are good. It means they are for your good. You know, often, if you look at a Persian rug, a handmade rug, and if you flip it over and look at the backside, you remember all the knots, all the strings hanging arbitrarily, and you go, hmm. But if you flip that rug over, you see the beautifully woven pattern. Trust me, that's it. Down here, down here we see the bottom. Down here we see all these circumstances, all the strings and all the knots. And we go, God, what are you doing? What is up? How can you be a good, gracious God? Allow this in my life. And he would say to us, just wait. Because one day, as a Jesus follower, when we get to heaven, we're going to see the top side of the rug. And we're going to see the beautiful pattern that he is weaving, has woven. We're going to see that. And guys, listen. As you struggle struggle with your belief in God because God doesn't make sense, remember that. We're not intended to know everything here. Rather, we're intended to know everything there. All he says right now is just trust me. Just trust me until then. Just trust me until then. So the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in that way. And then comes this interesting verse in the second part of 24. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. Though he fall. Now, this verse makes all the sense in the world to us. Because we go, oh yeah, I'm the fall king, man. I fail all the time. Yeah, it's really cool to know that when I fall, I won't be utterly cast down. But but again, what did that mean to Jesus? When Jesus read that, he goes, How would that apply to my life? Well, yeah, you know, there's one place in the Bible where the Bible that I can tell now, that I can tell you, let me know, I'm sure, if I'm wrong. But in the New Testament narrative of Jesus, there's only one place where the Bible says he fell. And it wasn't failure. Is a literal prostate on the ground. Did you know? Did you think about it? Let me know if you find another place. But there's one place. And and there's one place where he could have been utterly cast down, but he wasn't. He wasn't. So so where would that be? And we may have already guessed, it's the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's look at that teaching point. See, even in his humanity, even in his humanity. Jesus wasn't knocked down by circumstance or fear. In other words, even even when his, speaking from his humanity side, you know, when he he was on his face, you know, and, and, and when he was almost, seemed like, knocked out for the count, it wasn't fear or circumstance. For us, it would have been. But for him, it was surrender and worship. Let's look. Let's look. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26. And I want you to really grasp what this says. In Matthew 26, 38, he said to them, uh, the boys are over here, okay." and Peter, James, and John are here. And so he's speaking to Peter, James, and John. And he says, he said to them, I am deeply grieved. I am deeply grieved. Physically, he knows what's going to happen in about 30 hours. He understands what the Romans called the death of... Of deaths. He understands. That this was called. This, this was so horrible. That it was against the law. To crucify a Roman citizen. He understood. He knew what was coming. So he's deeply grieved. Because of physically. He's deeply grieved. Because of spiritual. Spiritually. He knows. Now let this soak in. Because I don't think you got it the first time. Every sin. Of every man, woman, and child ever created by God, ever born, every sin was on him. The thought you had last week, the thought she had last week, the lie you told, well, we could go on forever. He spiritually understands, and that for that sin, because the wages of sin is death, that wrath, God's wrath is going to be poured out on him on the cross. What? He understands that. Emotionally, he understands, and I think it's probably his human side, when he cries out and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was his humanity speaking out. As deity, no, God was there. But in his humanity, he felt forsaken of his father. He is deeply grieved. How much? And here's our first point, to the point of death. He was cast down, but not utterly. What would have ki- listen get this. What would have done what would have killed a normal person didn't kill him. We often talk about the scourging. They say the scourging would have killed a normal man, but Jesus had an appointment with the cross. The emotional stress, according to Jesus, the emotional stress was so great if it hadn't been for his appointment with the cross, it could have killed him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing? I'm grieved to the point of death, but not to death. Because he had an appointment on a Roman cross. So he says, remain here and stay awake with me. Well, they didn't. And in verse number, number twenty nine 39, we see that. Going a little further, they were here and he was there. Going a little further, he fell, here it is, he fell face down. This is the only time that I can find Jesus prostrate on his face. And he's before God. It's not in fear, it's not in circumstance, it's not in failure. But he fell face down and prayed, my father. That word father is the Abba word. My dearest father. My dearest father, if it is possible. And this is where that song that David picked today is just so great. The cup was not removed. He drank it all. He's praying, you know, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. If there's any way. And of course, there was no way. There was no way but this way. And he knew that. But he's speaking again. He's praying out of his humanity. He said, if if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And here it is. Yet not my will, but as you will. And what that, what that scripture meant to him is so hugely important. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delights in his path, and even if he fall, he will not be utterly cast down. Because Jesus' desire was not my will, but thy will. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean? For us, well, it means Psalm seventy-three twenty-six. In Psalm seventy-three twenty-six, it says, "My flesh, this is us. My flesh and my heart may fail. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. We constantly find ourselves failing. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion." Because God was there for Jesus, God will be there for us. No matter what trial, no matter what circumstance comes up. And I love, do you see what I added for us? I think it's okay to do this as long as you put it in brackets. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion or my enough forever. If God did nothing else for us but gave us Jesus, it's enough. If God did nothing for us but save our soul, it is enough. If God did nothing else but allowed his son to go and suffer for us, it would be enough. And that finally leads us down to the last part. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. And even if he stumbles and fall, he will not be utterly cast down because he upholds him with a strong will. The Father walked with Jesus through the Passion Week. I love the scripture, what it meant to him. You know, in Hebrews 12, 2, the second part, you know, um, it's awesome. It says, Because of the joy awaiting him. You know, Jesus had that wonderful ability. Hey, this here's a freebie. You know, Jesus had the ability to look from here to here. And in between here, was 33 years on earth, a crucifixion, a death, a resurrection, scourging, crown of thorns, all that, but for the joy awaiting him. He had the wonderful ability to look beyond into heaven. He was able to endure the cross. He was able to disregard its shame. He could disregard hanging naked before the world. He could disregard the becoming sin because God gave him the strength to do it. And now, Paul, if Paul wrote Hebrews, whoever did, now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Passion week in the rearview mirror. Crucifixion in the rearview mirror. Death in the rearview mirror. He's now seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. What does that mean for us? It means this. This is Hebrews 4 16. So let us come boldly. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Let us come boldly to the place, the good man, the God man. Let's go to the place where the good man is sitting. We can come boldly to the throne, to God's amazing throne, the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive mercy and we will receive grace to help us when we need it most. See, this just came to my brain. The reason I love Psalm 37, 23, and 24 the the way I do, it's a psalm of help. It's a psalm of help. Let's do it again. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delights in my path. Even if I stumble and fall, even if I stumble and fall, even if I stumble and fall, I will not be utterly cast down. God will not say, too bad, see you later. God will not say, you did it too many times, you're done. He will not say, I just can't Love you anymore. He won't say you're just too big of an embarrassment to me. I will not be able to cast down because he upholds me with his hand. And we find grace to help us, his strong hand when we need it the most. And first Dave made that. That's one of them Salah things. What do you think of that, buddy? What do you think? What do y'all think about that? I mean, yeah. Come on, come on. What do you think about that? That's amazing. This and this is the God. This is not a fairy tale. This is the God and how much He loves you. This is the God who perfectly executed Passion Week, so we could have relationship with Him. Let Let me close with a paraphrase, kind of, sorta, of of the Psalm thirty seven twenty three. And it's a teaching point. It says, the steps of Jesus were ordered by his Father. And he delighted in that way. It was a difficult way. Though death held him, it could not keep him. For they are greater than death. And if you know they, all capital letters. I checked. You know, there's a wonderful scripture that talks about the, the Holy Spirit's role in the resurrection. There's wonderful scriptures about the Father's role in the resurrection. There's scriptures about Jesus' role. The Trinity. The Trinity. For they are greater than death. And don't miss this. It was true for him and it's true for us. Death cannot keep us. O grave, where is thy victory? O grave, where is thy victory? It's all because of this good man was like no other good man. Now, we are not going to do our invitation like we normally do, because today we're honored to enjoy and to to observe the Lord's table today. Um, after the service, if God, God spoke to your heart about Jesus, what well, we talked about a lot today, this, uh, Brent or David or I, man, we'd just love to talk with you about it. And, and if you want someone to pray with you after service, we'll pray. And you know, I suppose even during the observance of the table, the altar's open. The altar's open. Perhaps you want to come and thank God for what he's done. Or perhaps there's something breaking your heart today. So that part of the altar is open. But we want to close our service today um, by observing the Lord's table. Now, we talked about that this week, but you know, there's really no other way to say it, but we practice open communion. You say, Well, Joanne, what is open communion? It means this. Now, we believe the Lord's Supper is for believers, not members of a certain religion and not members of a certain church. So if you're here today and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to partake of the Lord's Supper um, with us. Now, the way we do it here at Dorisville is um, we have a table here, and this is gluten-free, and that's not a funny thing. Some people really have to be careful of gluten And so we have a gluten-free table here, and and that's for you here. But we also have four tables in each corner. And what we're going to do after I pray in just a moment, we're going to invite you to get up as the team sings. You have to get up and go to the tables and get the elements of the supper, uh, the juice and the bread. You'll find them double-cupped. The juice will be on top. The bread will be on the bottom, okay? And uh, you should be able to easily twist those apart. Go back to your seat and just have a seat, okay? And then, after everyone's got the juice and, and the and the bread, and the um, and the song is over, then we'll partake of the Lord's Supper together. You know, this is so significant, especially this one, because Jesus knew we would need something to remind us. He he would need something to remind us that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Perhaps you're here. Perhaps you're here today, and your life has gone mad. Your world has gone mad. Maybe God gave you this today just to remind you he's still in control. He's still got this. So I'm going to lead us in prayer. You go ahead and keep your seat and when you're ready, when you're ready, feel free to stand and go to a table then return to your seat and we'll observe the table together. All right, let's pray. Well, Father, we surely thank you for today and we thank you for this privilege that we have. We thank you, God, for the table. We thank you for the bread which symbolizes our your broken body on the cross that you took our place. We think about the Jews that symbolizes your spilled blood, the new covenant, that when you spilt your blood, we could have relationship with the Father, not by the blood of animals, but the blood of the perfect Lamb of God. Father, I want to thank you that you do direct our steps. And I'm thankful that you directed the steps of your son. Thank you that the cup was not removed. He drank it all. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.